fact, I was the uh, headmaster at Greenville Christian Academy, not very far from here, for uh, about eight years during the 90s. And then uh, we moved to Atlanta. I've been at, I was at Colonial Hills Christian School on the west side of Atlanta for almost 15 years. And um, God really richly blessed. I, I love Christian education. I, it, was, it was natural for me to go into Christian education because when I was a boy, I was, well, I, I was in, my parents enrolled me in a Christian school. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, they, I, my parents had this little, very little boy who had so much energy. And um, if I was, if I was a, a boy, if I was a young man born today, I would unquestionably be diagnosed with ADHD. Amen. Back then, they didn't know what ADHD was. So my parents just kind of self-diagnosed me. With some, as someone that needed strong controls and discipline. And uh, really, I was, there were so many things that, that I, I could not do, and, uh, and they had to keep a handle on me. And, and uh, I, I have this very vivid imagination, picturesque uh, imagination, that um, I, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of television. Do you remember the monsters that used to be on TV? You remember the, I was not allowed to watch the Munsters as a boy. Not because there was anything wrong with the Munsters, but because if I watched the Munsters on Monday night, I was the Munsters at school the next day, on Tuesday. And, and so, you know, my, my teachers would call, and Mrs. Smith, did you let him watch television last night? You know, and um, they enrolled me in this Christian school, and I had, I, really, I, I struggled. I had a hard time with so many things. But um, when my teachers told the Bible stories, they had my absolute undivided attention. And, and really, growing up up north, you know, uh, in Pittsburgh, all the Christian schools there, you know, back in the 60s, late 50s, early 60s, up north, all Christian education really had its founding, its roots in the Dutch Reformed uh, up north. And so all my teachers had these... I had these great Dutch names. I had Miss Schrotenboer, Miss Wanderschwag, and then my second grade teacher, I, I love that, her, her name was Miss, Miss Bratt. <laughs> and Miss Bratt was an elderly lady. She was about, I don't know, 152, 153. <laughs> And, and I, I, like I told you, I had a hard time paying attention to so many things. But when Miss Bratt would tell the Bible story, she, she had my absolute undivided attention. I remember so well Miss Bratt holding up a picture card that showed Jesus on the cross. And as this saintly lady told the story of Jesus giving his life as a ransom for sin, she began to weep and these tears were running down her face. And she reached in her pocket and took out this hanky and she was dabbing her face to dab the tears off. And for me as a second grader, I, I really did not know what was going on. I didn't understand everything. I just knew whatever it was, this was a big deal. I went home that day and told my mom. I said, Mom, you're not going to believe what happened at school today. My teacher cried at school. 
And my mom said, what did you do? <laughs> but, but you know, from hearing God's word taught daily, and, and, and my parents, really, they, they didn't relegate their responsibility to the school. They, had me, they took me to church. Amen. They, they had me in Sunday school. They read God's word to me at the house. And as a result of that, just two years later, I came to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And um, it had a, a great impact on me. And as a result of that, I felt like I had a debt to Christian education. And, and I've had a great ministry. I've loved it. But God began to make some changes in my heart and life. And um, now um, I, I'm going to share with you a few things on what God's done to move me because I just figured that, um, you know, that I was going to stay and be in Christian education. And, and, and God made a change just a few years ago. And, um, you know, I, I struggled with a little bit about going to the mission field, the Dominican Republic, the help in the development and the establishment of a Bible college there, training nationals to plant churches. And um, I, I struggled with it a little while because... You know, I was 57. Not that 57 is old, do mind you. I'm not saying that. I, I just didn't know if I wanted to change careers at 57, you know. And some of my friends are talking about what they want to do in retirement, and I'm, I'm planning a new career at 57. But, you know, um, I, I found out that, you know, you just have to trust the Lord. And I, I've been so blessed. Let me share with you a few things, if I could, about the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic shares the island of Hispaniola here. Oh, oh, I pressed the wrong button. Brother, can you start me again? I'm sorry. I hate it when somebody does that. Uh, There we go. Uh, There we go. It shares the island of Hispaniola with Haiti. You see the yellow there. Lies just 700 miles off the coast of Florida. Um, It has a a rich heritage dating all the way back to, um, that's a Spanish-speaking country of 10 million people. Has a rich heritage dating all the way back to Christopher Columbus, who landed here in 1492. In fact, Columbus is buried here in the Dominican Republic. So when we talk about, uh, this is a statue for Columbus there in the capital. When we talk about Columbus discovering America, understand this where it came. Um, is uh, the capital city is Santo Domingo. It's a very large city of about 5 million people. That's almost 5 million. That's almost, that's about half of the people of the whole country live in the capital city. Large city about the size of Atlanta. Uh, we will be living and working in the city of San Pedro. It's a city of about 200,000 people, about an hour east of the capital along the southern coast. However, most people live in humble towns and villages that dot the countryside and the mountainous area. This is one of the villages in the area. We uh, call this, there's an old broken down lighthouse in the area. We refer to this as the lighthouse village. We have a children's ministry here. Actually, as a result of this village, we have a women's ministry, a women's rescue ministry. Um, And um, I I, I might have some time, I'll tell you this. We um, they had some, uh, we had some, we had some ladies in the church that had a real burden for the women. In the minutes, they were going out and they were going to a local women's prison. Notice that a lot of the women in the prison were from this village. And they, 
And, of course, in any third world country, prostitution becomes a real problem. And so they were trying to have a ministry to these women on the streets to get them off the streets. And doing that, they found out that a number of the women on the streets were, were from this village. And they said, hey, look, we've got, we got to do something. We want to rescue these women, yes, but we've got to do something to try to get these kids before they get to this point. So we have a big children's ministry here. That's, um, and uh, they have a, a, a rescue house. And Now, the philosophy here of the ministry is everything we do, they're trying to make everything self-supporting so it's not dependent upon American money to come in to keep it running. And uh, they have this... Uh, house, it's called it Mercy House, where they've brought some women either that were in prison as a step down, help them to get ready, and, and we use it as a chance to win them to the Lord. But also, uh, we have really, it's for some of the prostitutes, they're getting them off the street, uh, winning them to the Lord, discipling them, giving them some job training so they can find another way of life. And um, I get this call one day. Uh, I'm getting ready. I was taking young people from our Christian school on missions trips down to the Dominican Republic and our juniors and seniors. And I got a call. We were going to go down in a couple of weeks. And one of the missions, uh, the ladies called and said, hey, Wes, look, when you come down, we have a church that has some dresses for us, for our ministry. Could you bring them with you? I said, oh, yeah, that's, that's no problem. So, uh, you know, a week or so later, my, my secretary down the other building calls and says, Doc, what do you want us to do with all these dresses? Dresses, dresses. Uh, said, yeah, some church brought them by. They're, they're, oh, yeah, yeah, we're taking them to the Dominican Republic. You're taking, come down here. You need to look at this. So I go down to the other building. And there's like two rows of boxes. They're stacked from floor to ceiling. And I said, wow, that's a lot of dresses. And I pulled one of the boxes down, opened up the dresses, and I pick it up, and they were prom dresses. <laughs> I said, I, I, I picked up the phone. I, I called. I said, Allie. Why am I bringing prom, why do you want me to bring prom dresses to the Dominican Republic? She said, well, you know, we have this mercy house, rescue house for women. I said, yeah, yeah. She said, well, we have one of the ladies in the church that has an alteration business. And she had a front room that she wasn't using. And we've developed a dress shop there. And Latinos, Dominicans, they love to dress up for special occasions, whether it's when they celebrate their daughter's 15th birthday, the quince años, or, or weddings, or anniversaries, some special events. And they will come and rent dresses from these. And, from, and we make enough money from renting dresses to pay for the total price of Mercy House. Pay for the rent, pay for food, pay for job training for all the women that are living there. I said, I guess I'm bringing prom dresses to the Dominican Republic. <laughs> So, you know, so that, that's been uh, a, a great ministry that's here. And, you know, Dominicans are happy people, r- regardless of their poverty, with dreams of a better life than their fathers that grew up in the midst of poverty and desperation brought on by political corruption and tyranny. Dominicans are hard workers. Oh, there's, many of them have more than one job trying to make things work. There's no welfare system in the Dominican Republic. And... Uh, now, while to, many of them today will work in modern offices and factories, however, most make their simple living off the resources of the land. These little things, you'll see these everywhere. These little motorcycles, they're taxis. Um, Dominicans walk most of the places to go. Very few people have a car. 
Um, and so if you have to go a little further, you'll call one of these motos, and they'll come pick you up, and it's about, uh, it's about uh, uh, 100, 100 pesos, uh, uh, or, or I'm sorry, it's about, uh, no, it's not 100 pesos, I think it's 30 pesos, uh, 35 pesos, it, it's about 80 cents American, about 30 pesos, 35 pesos. And um, they, um, I've seen as many as five people on one of these. Okay, watch. Here's, you have the, the person in the front, the driver, the taxista, is here in the front, and he's driving. Behind him was a lady who had a, a, a shopping bag in this hand and a baby here in this hand. And behind her was sitting her husband, who had a shopping bag in this hand and a baby child in this hand. And, and nobody's holding on. And, and he's going down the road. Oh, and the, the motorcycle driver, the taxist, he's driving with one hand because he's balancing a tank of propane here in the middle as they're going down the road. And uh, that's, that's Dominican. And these are everywhere. Um, the... Dominican Republic, although religious in its nature, is a country that desperately needs the Savior, who's the only one that can bring genuine peace, true hope, and happiness. Uh, It's a Roman Catholic country. It's 98% Roman Catholic. However, they're Catholic by tradition and not necessarily by practice. And so they are very open to the gospel and very willing to listen to whatever you have to say. The philosophy of Daystar Baptist Missions, which is our mission board that I'm going under, is rooted and grounded in the strategy of the Apostle Paul, who established churches in key cities and key locations, and then taught the people there in, uh, in that area to win and disciple their own people. The uh, Iglesia Bautista in Macadiz is a church along this line. Started in this small storefront, and then shortly there, uh, a few years later, they purchased this large. It was a warehouse, it used to be a rum warehouse, and now it's a church. Uh, I love that they bought, bought this with all America, or I mean, with all Dominican money, no American dollars. They raised the funds, did it all on their own. Here, it's Americans and Dominicans working together here to develop a strategy to reach the whole country. And they were um, in, they had a meeting a while back, and they were talking about, you know, how can we have a greater impact and reach more people? And they developed a strategy that became known as the DR Vision, DR, Dominican Republic. Now, I have DR Vision on some things. It's on my prayer cards. I have some banner. Many people look at that, and they think, DR Vision, they think it says, Dr. Vision. Uh, I'm not Dr. Vision. (laughs) Um, Dr. Vision, that's either incredibly arrogant, I'm Dr. Vision, or it's, I don't know, your local optometrist. Uh, Neither way, that that doesn't work for me. So DR Vision is a strategy for reaching the Dominican Republic. And in order to understand the DR Vision, you've got to understand baseball. Because baseball is not a game in the Dominican Republic. It's life. In fact, baseball is so big that every team in the major league has a baseball academy in the Dominican Republic where they recruit, train, prepare young men to play professional baseball. And so, 
Oh, by the way, it's so big that many times parents encourage their boys to drop out of school when they get to be about 11 or 12 years old. Just go work on your baseball because that's seen to be a way out of poverty. So we developed a ministry. One of the, one of the, the fingers of the DR Vision is the uh, baseball ministry. It's a sports evangelism program. Here we have right now about 150 boys involved from 8 to 18 who are playing baseball Uh, We're teaching them the game. They're being coached by some uh, men who played college ball here in America. Or they played on the... uh, We have Dominicans that played in the Dominican League, played professional ball. And we have one who played professional ball here in America. It's on AAA level. Here we have... These boys are learning to play the game. We're teaching them. They're playing multiple games throughout the week. But we're also teaching them about Jesus Christ. And we've seen young men come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, which opens their family up for the gospel, for us getting in to witness the homes and and lead them to the Lord as well and get them into church and disciple them. Um, Also, one of the requirements is if they're going to be involved in baseball ministry, not allowed to drop out of school. And so we're keeping them in school at the same time. They started a Christian school back a few years ago because... um, the, the state schools are so poor, they're, they're, they're just poor because they, they have no funds, so they have no books, and the books that they have are old or missing pages. And so uh, parents often are looking for a private education for their children, but all the schools there were Catholic. So they're learning Catholic doctrine from a, a very young age. So they started a Christian school. It's a bilingual school. Parents like that because they want their children to learn English. And so we have a bilingual Christian school. Here, we have Dominican teachers as well as American teachers. And so Dominican teachers are teaching certain classes in Spanish. American teachers come uh, and teach certain classes in English. And um, at the same time, we're teaching boys and girls about Jesus Christ. A number of them, we have had a host of them, come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior as a result of Christian education, just like what happened to me. The, the school has grown tremendously. It started with 43 students up through uh, grade four. They added fifth grade. And the next year when they added fifth grade, they had 95 students. And they said, wow, we've outgrown this facility. We need to find another one. So they went in the downtown area and they found this. It was a building. It's an old mansion that had been abandoned for about 10 years. And they worked hard, fixed it all up. They said, this is great because we, we're going to add sixth grade next year. Uh, you know, we have 95 students. We'll add sixth grade. But now this building will last us for a number of years because we can hold like 200 students in this building. And so the next year they opened up sixth grade and they had 210 students. And um, this past year they added seventh grade and they redid some things. They have 290 students in here and they're making some adjustments. They're adding some, uh, some rooms on the top of this and uh, uh, as they add eighth grade this next year. So... Um, it's, we're seeing, and we're seeing so many young people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior here in the school. About seven years ago now, I faced a personal tragedy in my life. My wife of 32 years went to be with the Lord. And when she did, I began taking students from our Christian school on missions trips to the Dominican Republic. We did all the things you always do. You know, we did some 
uh, cleanup projects and painting projects and light construction and yard work. We took our puppets with us, and we did puppet shows in the churches and, and uh, musical programs. We went out to the schools, and we had our puppets and musical programs. We had a sign language choir. We went to the villages. We did all those things. We did gave out tracts. We had crafts. And, and while I was there, I learned about the DR Vision. And they took us to this land that was outside of town. And they told us the story that here, the government had 46 acres of land and came to the ministry and said, you know, are you interested in in buying this? And they said, oh, we we need this land desperately. And so they said, well, we'll sell to you. It was old sugar sugar cane land. And they said, we'll sell it to you. And they gave them the price. And they said, oh, wow, that's we, we can't pay that. The government said, well, that's the going rate. You know, we could sell this to anybody. And they said, well, we just, we just can't buy us too much. The government said, fine. For over a year, the government tried to sell this land to someone else. Thirteen months later, they came back to the ministry and said, look, are you still interested in this land? They said, yeah, we are, but we just can't pay that price. The government said, well, we've reduced that price. It's now half of what it was before. They bought the land. Three months later, the Atlanta Braves bought the land across the road here and built their baseball training school here. Here are the Dominican Braves. They have 50 boys here that they're training to play professional baseball. And then, right next door to the Braves came the Texas Rangers, who built their baseball academy. The Rangers have 70 boys here that they're training to play professional ball. A few years later, further on down the road since that time, we've uh, developed the the Milwaukee Brewers and the Detroit Tigers have all come to this area just further on down the road. And so work began on the property to prepare this land to use for the Lord. And there's a a law in the Dominican Republic, before you can develop commercial property, you have to have a wall that goes around your property to, to, uh, to protect your property line. If you can imagine having a wall that goes around 46 acres. And so they worked on that for a number of years. And just, um, just a couple years ago, that wall, almost three and a half miles long, is completed. And so now work will begin on the property. It's begin, now work is beginning on, on the property, which will hold, you can see the baseball fields for the baseball program, um, uh, it won't shine there, but you see the little red roof things are uh, for uh, children's homes. We have a boys' home and a girls' home, too, an orphanage. By the way, I didn't mention that. And those are for a dozen children's homes. Are there. There's uh, down here at the bottom, there's a Christian high school and a Christian college, as well as residency areas and outdoor athletic facilities, all here on this facility. When we were there years ago, the pastor, the local pastor, asked us to, to spread out over the property. I had about 25 kids there, and were, there were three adults, and asked us to spread out over that property and pray for the needs of the DR Vision. And uh, asked us to pray that God would help to send the resources they need to meet the needs of the DR Vision. But they said, more importantly, we want you to pray that God will send the people here because what we're trying to do here, it's too big for us to be able to do on our own. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. 
he had his disciples on the mountain and he said, look, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that will send forth laborers into the harvest. I remember being there, there was this tree out in the middle of the property. And I went and stood under that tree. I I was just looking for some shade. You know what I mean? (laughs) And um, I began to pray for the needs of the DR vision. I said, Lord, would you you help send the the resources here that they need to accomplish this? And, And Lord, as they've asked, Lord, would you send the people here that they need so that we can be able to reach Dominicans and and really, Latin Americans for Jesus Christ. I had no idea as I stood under the tree that day praying that God would end up sending me. I had, um, in, the, in the process, just a, few, a, a couple years later, I had received this email. They had spoken to me when I was down there. Said, uh, Wes, would you pray about coming here to help us start our Bible college? I said, no, I'm not interested. They said, Wes, would you be interested in coming down to help us start a Bible college? No, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm happy I'm a school administrator. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And they said, well, would you pray about it? And I hate it when someone tells you that. And, and I said, how do you tell somebody, no, I'm not going to pray about that? You know. But uh, I said, okay, yeah, I'll pray about it. Uh, truthfully, I didn't. I went back with, and I was working, doing all the things that I always did. And a couple of years later, uh, a friend of mine forwarded me an email that came from one of the pastors down in the Dominican Republic that told about all the exciting things that were happening with the baseball ministry and with the children's homes, with the women's ministry, with the Christian school, with the church itself, and said, look, everything, God's blessing us in such a great way. But the thing that we haven't been able to get going We're asking everyone on our mailing list to please pray because the thing that we haven't been able to get going is our Bible college. We'd like everyone to pray that God would send the right person here. I I remember so well reading that email that day and the guilt that I felt saying, oh, I never prayed about that. And um, so I began praying about it. And the more that I prayed about it, the more that it seemed, and then I spoke with them about it down there and said, didn't matter how old I was, this is what God's plan was. And so I'll be going to help in the development of a Bible college there in Dominican Republic. They have a Bible institute with about a dozen boys in there, and they'd like to convert it over to a full Bible college. I have an advanced degree in this area, and um, so that's, you know, uh, I, that's been what God's been working on me to get me to ready to do this. Here, see, we have several young men that are there. These are two of the young men that believe God's called them to be pastors, but we can't send them to one of our fine Bible colleges here in America because if we do, they become Americanized, and they get used to life here in America, and they want to stay here. We, they need to be trained down there. See, um, we have young ladies that are looking for a chance to be involved in ministry and would want to go to a Bible college. The truth is that nationals, the indigenous people, they can do the job better than we as Americans. 
They know the people better. They know, uh, they know the language. They know the culture. They, have a, they, they can do it better, faster, and cheaper than we can. But they must be well-trained. And um, the, the government would love for us in, in the future to develop an education program there in our Bible college. So we're providing teachers for their schools because they have a teacher shortage. Imagine this. Uh, the schools there are wide open. So you can give the gospel in their schools. We've done it. And uh, we can provide uh, Christian teachers teaching in their state schools. And the state will pay them. Uh, and they can give the gospel out in the school. Oh, that's a good thing. And uh, so that's the, the ministry of planting churches by training nationals to do the job. Um, <clears throat> we have interns that come down every summer and spend some time with us. And uh, about uh, between 15 and 20 interns come down every year from here in America and work during the summer. And a number of them, after being there, uh, after they've completed about one year of college, they, they come down. And a number of these interns said, you know, we believe God's calling us to missions. And boy, if you had the Bible college here, we, we could study missions here on the mission field. Boy, wouldn't that be a great way to study missions? Instead of, we wouldn't take cross-cultural classes in a classroom, we'd live cross-cultural every single day. They'd graduate um, with a knowledge of the people. They'd graduate completely bilingual, no need for language study, ready to go and serve the Lord. And, uh, so that's our, and in this way, we're not just impacting the Dominican Republic, but we're going to prepare missionaries for all of Latin America. That, that is our, our ministry. When I uh, first resigned from Colonial Hills Christian School in Atlanta, I, I thought that I was going as a single man. And uh, I said, oh, you know, that's what the Lord's plan is. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm ready to go. And, but, you know, God said, no, stupid, you need some help. <laughs> and um, as I started deputation, really, I called, I called my old roommate, who's a pastor in, in Fuquay, Verena, and was, was speaking to my, my friend. And, and uh, through him, as a result, through his influence, I ended up meeting Maria Mercedes Oviedo, Wheatcraft, a Maria... Uh, uh, is from Ecuador, and um, sweetheart, when you come up here, I, I, I'd like for Maria to come. Uh, Maria's from Ecuador, and uh, has a very unique testimony. I'd like for her. I'm going to step away so you can use this microphone so you can hear what she has to say. And raised in Ecuador. A Catholic country. I was raised as a Catholic, went to Catholic school. Uh, I came to know the Lord through Christian radio. It was a missionary station founded and run by American missionaries. Uh, my dad used to listen to, to it, and, and I would listen to it with him. And uh, when I grew up, I continued to listen to that station on my own. And that's how I learned the, the truth of the gospel and, and received the Lord as my Savior. Uh, when I, I married an American and came to live in the United States, uh, then I would write to my family uh, 
and every every week I would write every day and, and mail the letters every week, and because I I um, wanted to reach all of them to the Lord, so I would write scriptures in all of my letters. A few years later, I received a, a, one of my letters uh, from my mom. And she said she had been reading my letters, and because of that, she had received the Lord as her Savior. And um, a few years after that, my brother and my sister have also received the Lord, and and they attend uh, Baptist churches over there. And my sister even uh, teaches discipleship classes at her church. I, uh, I became a widow about 17 years ago now. And, and I, so I was a widow for 17, 15 years when I met Wes. And uh, so I am very thankful for, for missionaries because I was saved as, as a result of their work. Thank you, sweetheart. And in fact, and now, um, missionaries, mission work is so big, it had an impact on her life and brought her to the Lord. And now she's serving with me, carrying that word as a missionary to other people. And uh, we dated uh, for a little while, and, and we, were, we were married really last February, uh, uh, February a year ago. So we're just really, we're just still newlyweds. <laughs> and, and I, I, I kind of like that. And uh, we just decided we're going to stay newlyweds. And hey, you'll like this though. We were, we were married on my birthday, uh, February third. We were married on my birthday. So guys, I can never forget my anniversary. You know, and and, and it was a great birthday present. Wow, what a great present! Um, it's so good to be here with you. I, I want to, I want to share a few things with you this morning. Would you take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter one? Romans chapter one. I want to I want to talk with you about you know when we come to missions and we talk about things here I wonder wonder if we realize how important this is uh, Let's look at it this way you ever realize how, how important a person's last words are? I remember when I was a young man, we had three boys. I have three boys. My boys were all gone. Now they're all grown. and My boys were all born in the South. Um, I have one now that lives in New York City, one that lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and one that lives in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, they're all stupid. But... Um, but you know what, my boys, when they were, when they were young, they were boys, and, and, and I remember taking them in to see my grandfather. Uh, they, my boys called my grandfather Papap. We went in to see Papap, and, and he wanted to talk with, see the boys, and talk with my wife and I, because he was very sick, and he knew he was going to die. And he wanted to share, it was very important to him that he met with my wife and I to give us his last words. 
things that he wanted us to know. He wanted us to remember. He was very, and I'll tell you, because Pap Tom wanted to speak to us and, and tell us those, those were important to us. I remember when, when after my wife Peggy passed away, the boys, my boys said before, Dad, did, did Mom have any last words for us? Did she say anything? I said, yeah, as you know, your, your mom was very sick, and she was in a coma. She really wasn't, you know, she wasn't able to talk. And No, she didn't. There's, there's something about that. They wanted something because there's something precious about those, about those words. You know, I find that in Scripture. Remember, remember Elijah and Elisha? Elisha doesn't want to leave Elijah's side. He wants to be there through everything. He wants to see everything that happens. He wants to hear everything that Elijah's going to say. He wants, he wants to be there right through the end because this is important. How about the last words of Moses? Wow, you go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. The Israelites have come to this point Forty years before, they've come and they're about to go in the, uh, into the promised land and Moses can't go with them. He can't lead them anymore. And all he can do is give them some advice. And you look at Moses' advice to them, what he says to them as they get ready, because they messed up here 40 years ago. He doesn't want them to mess up again. And he says, the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be of good courage. Um, that these are some of Moses' last words that they can cling to. How about Paul? If you look at Paul's last words, basically the whole book is 2 Timothy. I, had, I remember when I was in Bible college, Pastor, years ago, there was a, a guy that came, I can't remember who it was, but he, he, I remember him teaching on 2 Timothy, and he, he said this in chapel, he said, listen, when you read 2 Timothy, you've got to read 2 Timothy this way. As Paul is writing, he can hear the executioner down the hallway sharpening his axe. And as he hears that grinding, as he grinds that axe, he, writes, he can write, oh, I've got to tell Tim- Timothy this. I have to tell Timothy this. And his last words are, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He's giving his last words to Timothy. This is a big deal. I wonder, how about the last words of Jesus? Would those be important to you? You want to see Jesus' last words? Go to, go to, the, end, last, go to the end of Mark. Look at, look at Mark chapter 16. We'll come back to Romans here and again. Look at Mark chapter 15. Or 16, I'm sorry. Look at verse 19. Luke, um, Mark 16, verse 19. It says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received in heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Okay? So there's the ascension of Jesus in Mark chapter 16, verse 19. Look back a few verses before that in verse 15. What does he say? And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know how Matthew says that? Matthew says the same thing in 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's some of Jesus' last words. Uh, by the way, if you look in Acts chapter 1, it says, it doesn't record these, but it says in the early part of those verses that he gave them some commands. Guess what those commands were? There it is. Um, this is a big deal because it's some of Jesus' last words to us. It becomes something important. As we come to Romans chapter 1, I was reading here and I noticed there's some things that Paul talked about that described, gave some descriptions of who he was. I don't know if I, if I had some, some friends of mine say, tell me, give me a description of two things that I am and one thing that I am not. You know, I might say I'm, I, I'm energetic, I'm adventurous, I, I like to do some adventurous things, I've done that, uh, and, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, that's some things of who I am, I'm, I'm not boring, you know, I'm, you know I, I don't know. And, uh, but now, there's a, Paul gives a description on what he, think of some descriptions that would, what were some descriptors that would describe you? I am this, I am this, and I am not this. Paul does that in Romans. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. You know what Paul saw himself? He's a debtor. Um, notice he saw himself as a debtor to every culture and to every class. Every group out there and every class. You know why he was a debtor? For the same reason we are. Because Paul knew something that the whole world needed to know. He had the, the plan of salvation, the gospel message. When it was given to us and we accepted that as Christ our Savior, we know the way of salvation. It makes us debtors. I, uh, I told you I like some adventure. I, I do some scuba diving. Okay? I, I, kinda, I love to scuba dive. Uh, in fact, I, I ended up scuba diving by accident when, when my wife passed away. My oldest son, who was, had been in the Navy and had um, done some SEAL training before he broke his knee and it put him out of SEAL. But, um, but he's, he's out of the Navy, and when my wife passed away, you know, my son was worried about me. He said, Dad, I signed you up for scuba diving lessons. I said, you did what? <laughs> he said, yeah, I signed you up. You and me, we're going to take scuba diving lessons. Okay. <laughs> now I ended up, I ended up liking it, you know, and so I, I've done a little bit of scuba diving. But I noticed this: when I go out on a boat, if we go out, go scuba diving, you know, with there, there is never a time that this doesn't happen. Never, never, never a time this doesn't happen. That we're out there, that the that the dive master, or the captain says, "I want everyone to know where all the life-saving gear is." They tell us that every time, because they want us to know that we're protected. They, they, he has a debt to give us the, this information. You don't think we have a debt? A life-saving information that we know, and we got to get it out. Paul says, I, I'm a debtor. Uh, look, but look at the next verse. Paul says, verse 15, says, So as much as is in me, I am ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome. Paul's ready. You know, it, it takes some things to get us ready. I think Paul was ready in a number of ways. 
Paul was ready because God had taken some things and done it in his life to prepare him for what he's going to do. Paul was ready because he knew, I was, I've been reading in Galatians uh, recently doing a study, and Paul said, I discovered that God had a plan for me in my mother's womb. God knew I, he had something for me to do at the very beginning, and now I, I'm ready. Paul looked at it and said, I'm ready. He was ready emotionally. He's ready. He's, he's excited about doing it. But it's not just about excitement because excitement wanes. Paul knew that he was ready because God had a plan and he was going to follow. Paul said, I'm ready. And, and, but now look what it says that he's not. You know what it says he's not? It says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know, this, this word, this idea of power, realize the word power, it's, that's the word dunamis, we get the word dynamite from that. It's incredible power that's found in that. That ha- certainly had the power to save us. But you know, it's not just the power to save us. It, it's the power that, that changes us. That was the problem with the law. You know, you could say, I'm going to the, the law. You could say, you know, I'm going to try to keep the law. But the law, you know, never gave you anything in your heart to help you to keep it. You were always on your own. You were on your own trying to do it. Here now, we have the power through the Spirit to change us. That's something new. But you know something else that it gives us the power to do? And I love this part. This is what I found out. It has the power to direct us. When I was a young man... I, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was my life verse. It was very, very important to me. I said, look, it's trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And I've, I've preached this so many times to young people in our Christian school. would tell teenagers and young adults this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. But you know what I found out? As I grew older as an adult, I got busy doing stuff. I'm, I'm doing the job. I'm doing the job. It wasn't about things. I, I, somehow, I relegated those verses to young people. But what I found out at 57 was those verses aren't just for young people. Those verses are for us no matter what age we are. Amen. That God has, if we'll trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding... And all thy ways acknowledge him. And whatever problems, whatever you're facing, he'll direct your path. What an incredible thing to understand. Let me, let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you so much for bringing the message of salvation to us. Lord, would you help us that we... Help us to realize we are indeed debtors. We we just can't thank you enough. We can't serve you enough. Not because we're required to, but because, Lord, we love you. Lord, it's, it's not about what we can accumulate, what we can do here. Lord, I want to make a difference. All the most important thing that we could hear, we could have, is just to hear you say to us, Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Lord, would you bless this church. Thank you for this missions conference, for this time that they do in 
and give them a focus and help them with, with their outreach ministry in this way and bless them, bless their work here, bless their pastor and help in what they're working to accomplish. Give us a focus of spreading the gospel to others here in our community and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor.